Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our series in Exodus. Today we are talking about doubt and faith. And before we get started, I have a question for you all. And that question is, what is prayer? All right, so uh, we are in a series in the book of Exodus. Um, we are moving at the end of chapter three, beginning of chapter four uh, today. And before we get into the passage, uh, I'm gonna give a little context for earlier this week. Um, it was Monday and Sammy got home from work and we were pretty overwhelmed with everything that was going on. That was the, kind of the day that everyone found out about what happened in Vegas. And so we're like, let's go for a walk. And so we're walking around uh, the neighborhood with our dog and just talking. And we've been walking for a while. And Sammy said, how's your sermon coming? And I was just like, uh. And because she's my wife and she's perfect and she is who she is, she was like, why does any of this matter when stuff like Vegas happens? Like, why are we in the book of Exodus? Like, why are we talking about this then um, when there's so many things we talked about? And I love that she asked that because um, it really posed some questions in myself and some good conversations with Corey. Um, and ultimately, because uh, this is a very progressive community, I love that we push the boundaries of so many things. But at the end of the day, I do believe in the Bible and I do take it seriously. Um, not literally, like we say. And I do think that has something to speak to us in every season and in every time. And so reading it in that lens and, and trying to understand uh, the life of Moses as it relates to being in LA in 2017 in the wake of something like Vegas and hurricanes and KKK marching and whatever else happened this summer, um, atrocious. It's just, it framed sort of this reading in a new way. And so today, uh, this, this um, time is going to be very conversational because these are things that I'm processing and questioning and thinking about in real time as well. Uh, because when something like that does happen, and I'll talk a little bit about this in a minute, but I feel like I've, the internet is full of like, that's why our first question was, what is prayer? I've seen so many memes that are like a dump truck pulling up to like, a trash heap, and then it says like thoughts and prayers, like flowing out. You know, have you seen that? And like all of these things on the internet are like, we don't want your prayers. Like we want change. We want um, action. We don't, you know. And so um, it kind of posed the same question, right? Of well, you know, kind of what Sammy says. Well, why are we talking about this if something happened like Vegas? Well, what what does prayer mean? And you know what I mean? Like what what is the value, and how do we understand that in a place and time where people are kind of fed up with 
with I'll pray, I'll pray for you, you know, when your parents said like, I'll pray about it, it meant no, you know, that was just like, they're out, you know, it's like, we've, we've had a lazy theology, I think, about prayer and, and what it can mean. And so we're going to get into all of that today, but first I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read the scripture. So this is uh, Exodus 3, 16 through 4, 17. So uh, if you remember where we left off, Moses has just had his encounter with the burning bush and said, hey, God, who are you? And God was like, it's me, God, I am. So 3.16, go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are going to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to our Lord God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards his people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in a house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. And chapter four begins, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to you the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, Take some water from the Nile and pour it onto the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Ooh, that's getting feisty. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger uh, kindled towards Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and teach you what to do. He will speak for you and it will be as if he were your mouth as if you were God to him, but take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. So, that was a lot. Recap. <laughs> so Moses encounters, well, let's go back. 
Moses, growing up in Egypt as an Israelite, sees the oppression, sees the Egyptians oppressing the Israelites, gets angry, kills an Egyptian, uh, and then runs to Midian, uh, where he finds himself tending to sheep and doing things like that, and then encounters the burning bush. And we talked about last week the idea that maybe the bush didn't start burning, maybe it was burning the whole time, and Moses just had eyes to see it. And now he has this beautiful exchange where he is asking God, who are you? And God is sort of responding, and now here we are. God tells Moses, basically, everything you want to happen, I have plans to make happen. You want to see the Egyptians fall for their oppression? You want justice? You want everything to be restored? Perfect. I have a plan. Here it is. Are you going to help me? And Moses is like, that sounds great, but no one will listen to me. So God does these magical things. And then Moses is still like, okay, yeah, but like, I still can't talk, you know? And then God is like, this beautiful dialogue happens. So as I'm reading and um, trying to understand the context of the scripture, the dialogue got even more beautiful between Moses and God. Because Moses already has this idea of what he wants to happen to the Egyptians. He killed one, he was so mad. Obviously, he wants some justice. And God offers that to Moses. And the first thing out of Moses' mouth is, yeah, but no one's going to listen to me. I'm not powerful enough. I don't have the right kind of access. But also, in my context, I'm hiding in Midian because I already tried to fix something and it went poorly. So I tried, I failed, I ran, I hid. And now you're telling me you want me to do this and I can't. And then God says, what is that in your hand? Um, and I love, oh, I love this place, and I love um, hanging out with Corey because he's so intentional on understanding the context and the language and all of that's going on in the scripture. And so as I'm studying and reading um, this beautiful sort of uh, commentary that talks about, uh, one, the word hand is, is more symbolic of the word power or strength, Right? So God's saying, what, what is in your power? What do you control? What do you have? And Moses responds, a staff. And this word uh, more means your livelihood, your comfort, your, your provisions, right? Moses was a literal shepherd. His actual staff was his livelihood. So what's in your power and your, uh, your strength? Well, it's the thing I can control, and it's the thing that provides for me. And it's been my comfort since I've been hiding in Midian. And then God says, throw that on the ground. And it's this beautiful picture where I'm starting to realize that in this dialogue, God cares as much about Moses as God cares about the Israelites. So they're having this dialogue where God is saying, I'm trying to get you to shift your perspective about where you are, what you're doing, what you're controlling, the comfort you're hiding in, what you're placing your faith in. I'm trying to get you to do that because for me to complete my plan of freeing the Israelites, you need to go on your own healing of reversing the shame of killing the Egyptian and hiding in Midian. And to do that, I need to ask you what's in your hand. You need to shift your perspective about where you are and what you have. And that is the common theme as we go through the book of Exodus, is that God cares as much about the healing of Moses as God cares about the healing of the world. And that's the tikkun olam that we talk about here at New Abbey, is that the two are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes I think we can draw lines to say, well, the healing of the world matters more than my own stuff, so I'm going to go ahead and just focus on that. And that is easy, and that's called hiding in Midian, right? And so God comes and says, no, you want to be a part of this plan, a part of this great restoration of what's happening in Egypt? Okay, well, then what's in your hand? What are you holding on to? What's comfortable to you? 
Yeah, throw that on the ground. Surrender that. Let me show me what can, I'll show you what can happen to your hands. I'll show you what can happen to your staff. I'll show you what can happen to all these things. And I want to shift your perspective so you can be a part of what I'm going to do in the world. And it's beautiful. And then Moses says, yeah, but also I'm not good at talking. And then they have another dialogue. And this dialogue is so fascinating because most theologians will say that this is the moment that, that shows us, that gives us insight to the fact that God can change God's mind. This is a huge passage that is widely debated theologically because it's as if God is giving and taking with this dialogue of Moses, right? Even, even God saying, okay, well, try this. And if they don't believe you, try this. And if they don't believe you, try this third thing. And then Moses is still like, okay, but what about this? And I can't talk well. And God is like, who gave you your mouth? And Moses is like, yeah, you, but like, it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> and so God's like, fine, your brother's on his way. Anyways, like he could talk for you, fine. Um, and that gives us so much insight into who God is and who God is showing up to be in the life of Moses, in the life of the Israelites, and in our life to say, I'm open to this dialogue, right? You don't have to stay in Midian and just shout things over there like the Egyptians don't know what they're doing, bless you, Marks. Um, but you can bring that to me and we can have an actual dialogue about it. And prayer is sort of this this thing that, um, did anyone have a good definition? Anyone just nail it down in a few words or less? Nice, okay. Um, me either. I was just um, listening to Rob Bell last week and he was saying when someone, like you ever meet someone who, who feels like they can uh, describe God or tell you about God like very succinctly or matter of fact, it kind of takes some of the awe away from it, right? You're like, well, that's not that interesting if you can just, state it to me, and that's what prayer feels like. We're talking about this sort of intangible experience, and so to put language to it kind of cheapens the experience, and I feel like we, we've developed this lazy theology of prayer. But really this dialogue with God, right, this robust experience that is possible, this, this Moses' prayer of this back and forth highlights a new reality of, okay, the doubt is important, the self-healing is important. Um, what I believe or don't believe is all important. All of that creates a more robust experience with God. When we talk about doubt and faith, we talk about them as perfect partners. You can't have, if you have faith with no doubt, that's not faith. I don't know what that is, but the very presence of doubt implies faith. And so what we, what we do with that is what matters. Do we keep that hidden? Do we keep that tight? Or do we bring that and create this beautiful dialogue with God? And so this whole passage is going on, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm, and I'm sitting here, and I'm remembering this conversation with Sammy at the beginning of the week, and I'm reading things on the internet, which is just not a good idea in 2017. And, and I'm realizing that at least three-fourths of the internet is someone's critique of someone else's critique of someone else's critique of someone who once did something. <laughs> um, which is wild that, that we live in a time and space where most of our 
the things that come into our mind and that we read are critiques of someone else's critique of someone else who once did something. And it feels a lot like Moses saying, I tried something once and it didn't go well. So then I hid in Midian. And it's easy to be in Midian and shout things uh, from across the sea and say, how dare the Egyptians? Look at them. Look at that. They do this this way when you're in Midian, right? And I think that was the, the feeling of a lot of these these we don't want your prayer kind of vibe is because we've been accustomed to sitting and saying, it's too messy, I don't know what to do, I don't wanna try, I tried once and I failed, it's too hard, but what I will do is critique other people who, who once did something. And, and we talk a lot about critique at New Abbey because it's important, but it's only important if you're willing to get in the game. There's a fine line between critical thinking and cynicism, and once we start to fall on the line of cynicism, we're hiding, we're not in the game, um, we're not trying, we're not opening this robust dialogue with God, we're just in Midian with our comfortable staff in our own power and our own strength, critiquing, critiquing the Egyptians, too afraid to try something because once we tried and it failed. And so as I'm reading all of these pieces about what to do, I felt a lot like Moses where I'm like, I see the oppression, it makes sense, and then I see that there's a bigger plan and there's a bigger hope that God has for the world, but I don't, I don't know what to do, right? I'm not, I'm not equipped. And instead of creating a robust dialogue with God, and this is me speaking personally, just about me this last week, I got deep into just critiquing everyone else of saying, okay, gun control, well, there's already too many guns, so I can't do anything about that. Let me just critique all of the politicians on what they're saying, right? Okay, this going on like hurricane storms, I can't do anything about that, so let me just critique our president because that's my new favorite hobby. Um, okay, this is going on, well I can't do anything about that, so let me just be in Midian and be comfortable um, and from afar let me critique instead of opening this beautiful dialogue. And at the end of the day, I feel like three things that we've drawn some, some binary, we've created some binaries between prayer and action. We've created a binary between our own healing and the healing of the world, and we've created a binary uh, between doubt and faith. And the more I read this, the more I realize all three of those are inextricably tied. Our own healing is tied to the healing of the world, and when we feel like problems are too big and uh, we're too helpless and we can't do anything about them, right, it's probably a sign um, of something that's going on. And how do we create a dialogue with God where we allow God to shift our perspective on some things that we might be able to get in the game? Or on the other side, sometimes it's easy to say, I'm only focusing um, on other things because what I have going on inside uh, is too hard to deal with. Well, how do we allow God to shift that perspective? How do we get into the game? And the game simply can be a dialogue with God, right? And some of us grew up in church traditions where doubt was a no-no and you either are all in or you're all out. Well, how do we create a space where we can say, like Sammy, I don't know about church, but Soul Cycle seems to bring something to life in me great. That doubt and faith are perfect dance partners. And then prayer and action. I would argue there is no prayer without action. 
The very nature of it calls us to something. And so how do we not throw away prayer because we have been handed a lazy theology about it and just take to the streets? But how do we also not just pray in our closets without taking to the streets? These are inextricably tied. And so as I read the life of Moses and we are in Exodus in a time in our world where things like Vegas and hurricanes and political climates and personal stuff that we have and shame and failure in our past all exist, I feel like we have been given a perfect picture that we must simply get in the game and that game is a dialogue with God. It doesn't mean we can't critique or talk about but we can't exclusively do that. We've got to walk the line between critical thinking and cynicism. And I'm going to end with this quote from Teddy Roosevelt. It's not a direct quote because I made all the pronouns gender neutral, but it's something like the original quote. So it is not the critic who counts, not the person who points out the strong person uh, who stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends themselves in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and at the worst, if they fail, at least they fail while daring greatly so that their price shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. I was talking to someone recently and they said, if you want a good 10 song album, you have to write 100 songs. Um, there's something true about life that uh, no one is going to get everything right all the time, but if we let our failures, our past mistakes, or a negative experience keep us out of the game, then we are about as useful as these empty chairs. And so in a time like this, um, what I feel compelled and conflicted by um, and convicted by is my, my initial sort of pull to just get out of the game, right? It's a lot easier to stay out of the game in seasons like this um, and simply yell from Midian with my comfortable staff about how atrocious the Egyptians are. So my hope for this community, for all of us, uh, is that we would not stop writing because we have a few crappy songs, right? But that we would keep trying because getting in the game is what counts. And as this story shows, getting in the game is simply, can simply be initiating a dialogue with God that is honest, that is true, uh, and that it doesn't hide anything that we don't want to be seen. Does that make sense? All right, so we're going to get back in our groups here in a minute. Um, and I'm just going to pace a little bit like this while I think of the question. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the question can be this. Thanks, Dave. Um, where in your life are you yelling for Midian, but you need to get in the game?
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.